0: Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, you'll be listening to PSY 312 Abnormal Psychology with Professor Mark Hunter. I hope you listen and enjoy. Hello, my name is Dr. Mark Hunter, and I'm your instructor for Psychology 312 Abnormal Psychology here at Bellhaven University. In this unit, our first unit, we're going to look at our the first two chapters in our textbook. Chapter one is an explanation of abnormal behavior in the historical context. And then chapter two is the integrative approach to psychopathology. Now, just a, a word about these videos. These videos are a summary of these chapters. They're not an exhaustive explanation. I, um, if you were using these as your only means of studying for the um, test and the assignments, you will not be fully prepared. You need to uh, read the textbook or look at the PowerPoints that we have uh, available the longer PowerPoints as a a further and deeper explanation. So, but let's go ahead and get into chapter one um, of uh, our class. This class right now, it will involve an overview of the major psychological disorders according to the DSM-5, that's called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Disorders, the fifth edition, and their corresponding traits, their symptoms, and the current treatment. And we'll also consider the biblical worldview and the appropriate response of Christians in the field of abnormal psychology. Chapter 1, Abnormal Behavior in the Historical Context. So, when we say a psychological disorder, what do we really mean by that? A psychological disorder is a psychological dysfunction. It's interfering with your everyday life. It's associated with distress and impairment and functioning. Things aren't working out well. And it's not typical or culturally expected. Something that's out of the ordinary for that culture or for that time. And all three of these create criteria must be met in order to have be diagnosed with a psychological disorder. Not one criteria alone has been identified uh, that defines the essence of abnormality. So psychopathology is the term we use when we're understanding the scientific study of psychological disorders. Now mental health uh, professionals, they range in a wide variety of different uh, Occupations, professions—they can be clinical counseling psychologists, um, which have usually have a PhD or a PsyD degree. Psychiatrists, which are MDs, uh, who have a focus in psychology, and psychiatric social workers, we have a master's degree. Now, each of these professions has their own requirements and um, all their own training. So. We'll use the term scientist practitioner in this class. And what we mean by that is that many scientific or mental health professionals, they operate as scientist practitioners, meaning that they keep up with the latest findings and they use the scientific data to help them in their treatment of those with psychiatric disorders. uh, probably work in a clinic or a hospital or a variety of other places as well. Um, also there's people who will focus just mainly on the research and their types of research will be descriptive or causation what, what brings about this mental disorder and the treatment and outcomes. Now there's been different approaches to psychopathology in the past. And we're going to talk about those briefly. Again, refer to your textbook to go into more in depth. The three different approaches are the supernatural, the biological, and the psychological. And in the supernatural tradition, abnormal behavior is really attributed to outside agents, such as demons or spirits. And of course, in in the scriptures, we hear stories of demon possession and and evil spirits. In the biological traditions, it's really viewed as more of a disease and/or maybe a biochemical imbalance of some sort, in your neurotransmitters. In the psychological tradition, abnormal behavior is attributed to faulty psychological development. And there's many different theories that talk about healthy development as well, and to the social context and the environment in which a person was raised. So each of these traditions have had their own way of treating individuals with um, abnormal behavior. Of course, with the uh, supernatural tradition, we have exorcism and uh, different rites and rituals that may go along with uh, that particular behavior. The biological uh, treatment usually emphasizes more physical care and medicinal cures, you know, medicines and prescriptions and such. Um, The psychological approach uses psychosocial treatments, usually uh, different kinds of therapy um, and uh, talking therapies and reevaluation of how we think through different situations. Sigmund Freud was a famous uh, psychologist, psychiatrist that really got a lot of this field started And he was the founder of the psychoanalytic therapy, and he provided a really elaborate conception of the unconscious mind. You've probably had that in other classes, such as the id, ego, and superego. Freud was focused on tapping into that unconscious um, through techniques such as catharsis, meaning trying to get out those feelings that you had, you know, if you're angry or upset, just kind of yelling and getting it out free association where the psychologist would say a word and you speak the first word that comes into mind, or dream analysis where you would talk about what your dreams were uh, the previous night or, the, or the, that previous week. Um, Freud's followers, the neo-analytic uh, psychoanalysts, they kind of veered away from this path and um, they came to different ideas and development of different I- uh, treatments for uh, psychopathology, but uh, Freud still has an impact even today. One of the uh, trends that came from Freud was the humanistic psychology that uh, focuses on human potential. And we saw that with uh, um, the person-centered therapy of Rogers and uh, where you're in Maslow's where you're able to focus on uh, finding that rapport with the counselor and, and that a positive regard and kind of leading them, walking with the client as they go through the steps of therapy. The behavioral uh, model moved psychology into the realm of science. The reason that behaviorism took off because many of the psychologists were uncomfortable with lack of the scientific rigor that they felt like psychology needed. So they wanted to be able to measure things. And the only thing that they felt like you could measure was the behavior of someone. You can't measure their thoughts or feelings, but you can measure what they do. So they wanted to uh, do things like systematic desensitization, which is a way of treating phobias and uh, where you're um, trying to reduce the fear that you may have of something. Reinforcement, where you're trying to keep that certain behavior that you want to have and shaping where you... You, uh, and gradually shape the, uh, change the behavior of someone by reinforcement and getting them to the, uh, the behavior that you would like them to have. Now, um, this is important that we have an integrative approach to studying the abnormal behavior, because as we get more sophisticated in, um with our scientific tools, such as brain imaging uh, devices and things and our knowledge of cognitive science, we know that there's um, that really there needs to be lots of different contributions to the understanding of psychopathology. It's not just one realm of psychology. Many different parts of psychology can come in and have a, a contribution to this. So our behavior, either normal or abnormal, is really a product of continual interaction of psychological, biological, and sociological influences. Who you are is based off your genetics, your environment, and the society in which you uh, grew up in. Now, let's go on to chapter two, an integrative approach to psychopathology, where we'll talk a little bit more detail what we just mentioned. So the question is, how does a multidimensional uh, model of causality differ from a unidimensional model? Well, multidimensional means that there's the causes of psychopathology are really complex and sometimes very fascinating to understand. There's not just one simple answer to explain why someone has a psychosis or delusional or dealing with depression or anxiety that uh, there's usually an interplay of, of biology, maybe uh, chemical imbalances, or the, some of the psychosocial influences, the parenting that they received, or situations or stressful situations that they currently are going through or have gone through. So there's uh, anytime we're trying to explain a psychopathology, we need to really think of it in a multidimensional a means to think of what has contributed to this problem behavior. So when we're trying to understand the key influences to the multidimensional model of abnormal behavior, um, we have to look at the interaction between a variety of things such as, again, the genetic contribution. This would include things like your nervous system, um, your behavioral and cognitive processes, how our brains work. Um, emotional influences, and social and and interpersonal influences, and developmental factors. Again, this is done through an assessment uh, that is between the patient and the psychologist or psychiatrist, mental health professional, to try to understand all the different uh, contributors for what has brought a person to that point where they need professional help. So taking a variety of considerations in mind helps the mental health professional get a better understanding of what is going on with the patient and how best to design a treatment for them. So how do our genes interact with the environment? This is a really interesting uh, part of psychology. Um, And so we know that our genetic, Our gene code or genome has an influence about how we turn out to be and things like, um, you know, a lot of our behavior, some part of our personality, even though our IQ score is really polygenetic, meaning that there's not just one gene, there's not like an IQ gene that we can just pull out and manipulate and say, well, that's what someone's IQ is going to be. Now, there's a lot of influences that go into making our behavior, our personality, our IQ. And, um, and because we know that in normal behavior is polygenetic, we also under, uh, believe that it's uh, polygenetic for abnormal behavior too. Um, now, some research is starting to identify maybe smaller groups of genes that may have related to a particular type of abnormal behavior. But uh, right now we haven't been able to identify just one gene that would lead to psychosis or schizophrenia or things like that. So you know from your study of psychology that psychologists you know, come up with different theories to try to explain the behavior of, of people and understand what has brought this about. So, um, you know, psychologists and psychiatrists really try to understand this interaction between the genetics and the environmental influences. One of the models is called a diathesis stress model and where individuals are assumed to inherit certain vulnerabilities that make them susceptible to disorder when the right kind of stressor come along meaning that someone may have a, a, a genetic a predisposition toward addiction. And if they're growing up in a, an environment where alcohol or drugs or other addictive uh, substances are supplied to them, then that allows that to be expressed. But if someone was raised in another environment where that wasn't as available, then they may not have that expression. So this interaction between our genetics and our environment is still key in understanding abnormal behavior. So, in understanding the uh, gene environment correlation, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, individual's genetic vulnerability toward a certain disorder may make it more likely that the person will, you know, be more stressed out by that. Another field similar to this is a field of epigenetics. Epigenetics is really about how the environment may turn on or turn off genes uh, based off of the stressors that are in that environment, meaning that sometimes genetics can be expressed due to the environment in which you're in. And uh, you've probably studied this in some of your other classes, but um, that's a, a relatively new area of uh, psychological research and uh, it's um, even been shown that sometimes the environment can turn on a genetic predisposition that can be passed down in generations. Now uh, I know from many of your classes you've studied things like neurotransmitters. That's the electrochemical energy uh, uh, information that's given from one neuron synapse to another and so in abnormal behavior we look at these and uh, even though for our uh, class we're not going to get down to the to really uh, defined or real specifics for each individual uh, psychopathology but just a reminder that these actually do play a part so or looking at our neurotransmitter or neuroendocrine hormone levels activity. Remember that neurotransmitters are uh, chemicals um, through or passed on through our neurons. The endocrine system is in our blood and it's our uh, our different glands that are uh, producing chemicals that go through our bloodstream. So these can interact and regulate our emotions our behavior and can actually have imbalances in these, which can lead to abnormal behavior. So um, the five that we usually focus on is serotonin, uh, GABA, and uh, glutamate, norepinephrine, and dopamine. These are the kind of the big five of the neurotransmitters that are related to the study of abnormal behavior. Now. Again, we're not gonna go into a lot of depth into the biology of the brain, but you, just a reminder that, you know, the brain includes the brainstem, which is our automatic uh, functions, things that we don't have to think about, such as our breathing, and our, our uh, pulse rates, and things like that. Um, and um, the hindbrain it cont- the, contains excuse me, the medulla, the pons, the cerebellum, and um, again these take care of our automatic uh, activities that we don't really have to be conscious of. The midbrain understands and coordinates our movement and the top of the brain are the thalamus and the hypothalamus which help regulate behavior and emotion. This is uh, given in much more detail in your textbook and I encourage you to, to refer to that. So the limbic system, that part in our middle of our brain, that includes the hippocampus, the cingulate gyrus, the septum, the amygdala. And this helps regulate our emotions and uh, really involved in basic drives such as sex, aggression, hunger, and thirst. And um, the cerebral cortex, that wrinkly gray part that we see on the outside of our brain, that helps us to plan and to reason and to create. uh, So what are the key differences between the behavioral and the cognitive explanations of the origin of mental illness? So the field of cognitive science provides a valuable perspective about how behavioral and cognitive influences affect learning and uh, adaptation. So uh, influences are not only contributed to the psychological disorders, but may modify brain function, meaning our brains may not function normally which can contribute to abnormal behavior. Um, we'll show you um, in the textbook and we'll also describe how sometimes different uh, psychopathologies, um, when they look at the, um, the brain structure, they'll actually see differences between the brain of someone with schizophrenia and the brain of someone who doesn't have schizophrenia. So um, we also look at um, things like um, learned helplessness, that feeling that no matter how hard you try, you just can't win. And, uh, and how we learn different things and through our life and how we memorize and, and remember things and use that for, uh, to get through our daily uh, activities. So, of course, the role of emotions is big in psychopathology. And that's usually the thing that we notice most. Or maybe first, when someone is having abnormal behavior, they, we may um, see their behavior, you know, such as being uh, depressed or being manic, you know, excited. And uh, we call that mood. That's really the persistent period of emotionality, what someone usually like throughout their day-to-day activities. And if we notice a change in that, then we're, you know, we become suspicious of something else going on. So um, social and cultural and interpersonal factors really have a big influence on disorders and biology. Sometimes things that we may think are odd in our culture may be perfectly acceptable in another culture and vice versa. So um, when we say abnormal behavior, we have to, again, think of it in the context of what is the type of behavior that's appropriate in that culture. So when we look at um, psychological disorders, we also should consider the lifespan perspective from from conception to death. And so um, we understand that um, uh, some disorders actually show up very early, and we can see them in children some disorders such as schizophrenia don't really manifest themselves until adolescence or early adulthood and so um, but we also have to think about what has happened in that developmental those developmental stages for that person who's dealing with the psychopathology you know what has contributed what's her parenting been like what's her environment been like and all have contributions Well, that ends our first unit, so I'll look forward to seeing you in Unit 2.